Oh, it's going to be a good conversation. I'm excited for this. I got a chance to talk to him in New York a few years ago, and boy, how things have changed. Lee Steinberg, one of the best agents that you have ever heard of in all sports. He's represented eight first picks overall. Uh, he runs Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. Uh, wrote a book in 2015. He's written multiple books, but 2015, The Agent. And it is often rumored, and I would say it's been confirmed, that Jerry Maguire was loosely based off of Lee Steinberg. Lee, it's good to see you. A few years ago, you came in, and I felt like you were just getting back up again. Uh, you were very honest about the things that had happened in your life, in your own personal battles. And I remember seeing you at the Super Bowl with this kid out of Texas Tech, and nobody really paid attention. And now Patrick Mahomes just signed for a half a billion uh, and is the best quarterback we've seen. This journey these last few years, Lee, it, it, it had to be what you were hoping when you really got back in the game. You know, Adam, I didn't really have any doubt that uh, we could succeed in something I've done for almost 50 years, 47 years. But so my real comeback was maintaining sobriety for what this last weekend turned into the 12th year. And uh, thank you. Hold on, that's, a, that's a dozen Lee. That's awesome. Congrats, right. man. So I'm in my 12th year. I celebrated my 11th birthday. And so, uh, and, and being a good father to my kids, but um, since 1975, I've been working with athletes who understood the power of role modeling and how to retrace their roots to the high school collegiate and professional community. And I knew there'd be more out there to find. So it's, uh, we, last year we did Tua Tango Vailoa, uh, Jerry Judy, uh, and it, uh, and our, uh, SSE agency is thriving. I'm curious because you had a lot of success in the early 2000s, the 90s and all of that. And now that you're 11 years sober, is, are this, how, how different and, and how, is it more meaningful? Is it a different type of experience? What is it like having gone through what you went for on this side? Um, so I started struggling um, in 2008 and nine, and then in 2010, um, I broke denial uh, with alcohol and started to think about what could I do to, to separate myself from it. And um, it had gotten so bad, I was in my father's uh, bedroom and I had given up my office and my, uh, and my condo. And I was living with my parents and all I could think about was more vodka. So I did a 12-step program with a unique fellowship and uh, had an epiphany that I wasn't a starving peasant in Darfur. I didn't have uh, cancer. I, my last name wasn't Steinberg in Nazi Germany. So what excuse was there not to live up to my dad's admonitions, which were cherish relationships, especially family, and make a meaningful difference in the world and help people who couldn't help themselves. So. Uh, started to to rebuild and um you know here we are and if anyone's out there uh who's struggling with substance abuse um do not give up hope there is uh, help out there and and uh you can follow the path that that uh, i did and and have a happier life i love that and i i think knowing patrick i know how important family and honesty is to him and you've represented a lot of great players. What has it been like to see him blossom into what he's become, Lee? So um, I have 12 players in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Steve Young, Warren Moon, Troy Aikman, Bruce Smith, Thurman Thomas, Howie Long, Kevin Green, Kenny Easley, um, uh, Thurman Thomas, um, and... Uh, <laughs> If you like Patrick Mahomes on the field, you would love him off the field because yeah. he's grounded and centered. Uh, when we met him, he was in an offense 
at Texas Tech where if they didn't score on every single play, uh, they were going to lose the game because the defense was giving up 50 points. So when people looked at Patrick, they saw what he had to do to try to score on every drive. And they thought, well, you know, this guy's a gunslinger. He might be undisciplined and all the rest of it. What they didn't see was the fact that he throws a football in a way from multiple angles that is uh, sort of unprecedented. And what you're looking for in a franchise quarterback is this. What does he do in crisis and adversity? So the player's thrown a couple interceptions. The crowd is starting uh, to boo. The game is getting out of hand. The center's looking at the quarterback and the moves he's making like he's on hallucinogens. Now what do you do? Can you compartmentalize, adopt a quiet mind, and elevate your level of play to take a team to and through victory because most uh, athletic contests, a third of them are blowouts, but two thirds of them come down to the last uh, quarter or the last drive. Mm -hmm. And so that's a critical factor. And he can do all of that. He's got a unique ability to um, elevate when things are going adversely. Um, That didn't help much when he was under constant withering rush in in this last Super Bowl. But um, the Super Bowl before that, he showed what he was capable of. Hopefully Joe Tooney and all those guys on the offensive line can give him a little bit more time. It was It's tough when you lose like three of your starters the week of the Super Bowl. Well, I think we learned it's, that. It's not just three starters. It's the two tackles that would have right. protected him against the rush. And, and that would have been a quite different game. I mean, one of them had been the first pick overall in the draft, and the other one made the Pro Bowl. So you're talking about these two rocks of granite that somehow are not there. And what happens in the salary cap is this. To pay the superstars the money that they uh, uh, command today, it requires having a whole huge part of the squad at the minimum. So when a, a talented starter goes down, he's not backed up by someone who's just a little bit um, less talented. He's backed up by somebody that's really not uh, uh, at that level. So to put a player like that into the Super Bowl is really sort of unfair. I think that's a, a great lead into a question that I had, which was when when Pat got his newest contract, I remember turning on a TV show where they were saying that Pat should have gotten more. He was worth more. Um, but knowing Pat, I know that success and finances matter to him. I'm curious, what were those conversations like, whether it was from you to Pat in terms of advice, in terms of leaving enough money to field the team, but also from Pat back to you in terms of his desires with the salary cap? You know, what he wanted was to assuage or quiet the fears that somehow he might become a free agent and leave Kansas City. What's most important to him is winning and camaraderie with teammates. So he was very determined to do a long-term commitment. Now, it's not going to come as a surprise that the quarterback's contract gets redone quite often because the key in a salary cap is that all salary counts as a number against the cap, but amortized bonus is the other factor. So what happens is when a player comes to a huge salary year, instead of having all that count against the cap, they just redo the contract. So Mm. I'm confident he's going to be paid at the top of the field, you know, as long as he uh, keeps playing. And so, um, but I'm more curious about the, did he ever say to you, I want to make sure that we can still keep these great players around? Absolutely, me. he did. And um, so he was very focused on the fact that football's a team game. And he, he needs those tackles and he needs a talented running back and the wide receiver. And if he can do that, the ultimate goal of every football player is to get to and win the Super Bowl. And players go their whole career without ever being in that game. And so the ability to do this and stay in the hunt and not 
have the team go through uh, a period where they have to rebuild. Very important, especially for the quarterback on the team. And um, when they win the Super Bowl, it opens up a brave new world of, of, of opportunity. And so he knew exactly what he was doing purposefully. And, um, you know, is happy with the situation. I, I would tell you that had we signed for a trillion dollars, there would have been people who said he could have got more. <laughs> very true. Uh, I've gotten to know uh, Chris Cabot well, who works very closely with him and yourself. Uh, I've also been very impressed. And this is one of my last Mahomes questions because we have so much to talk about with you. Um, but what you guys have done since the contract, getting part ownership of the Kansas City Royals, the announcement I just saw about HBCUs and all the support there, I feel like you guys had a great summit where you sat down and said, we are positioned as the number one athlete in the number one sport in America, and let's find a way to have impacts in so many different ways. Is it going according to plan? And, and what was that vision that you had for Pat? And well, the, this the basic plan is to always remember that, first of all, Chris Cabot did, does a terrific job and did a terrific job on the contract. Um, but, and, and you don't do this alone. We have many, probably six or seven talented agents who, uh, Samantha Sankovich and Dan Saffron and my son, Matt Steinberg and so on. Roberts. And so um, it's a, it's really a group effort. So with Patrick, the question was, how can you create sort of a new mode and model of athletic empowerment? Mm -hmm. um, so he was on the air last week with NFTs, which is, you know, a brand new digital concept and, and did a groundbreaking uh, thing. So in charity and everything else, it's, how can Patrick be in position to own things and, um, and to have his unique vision uh, come through everything he does? So uh, this is a very caring athlete who thinks first about what he can do for other people, who thinks about how are you doing? He'd have a discussion with you and he'd be probing you. He's not self-absorbed. He's very grounded. And... Um, so, you know, it's a pleasure to work with him. At the same time, we did a merger partnership with a man named Ron Burkle, who owns the Pittsburgh Penguins, some other sports and entertainment agencies. And so he's now a partner and it gives us um, more uh, power to do all sorts of things. Um, you know, we're working on a better way to do marketing for all athletes, a better way to do content supply that, um, mm. that they own ways to, to deal with the concussion issue and to try to have prevention, awareness, and cure be better. Um, uh, trying to uh, use athletes as role models against uh, issues like domestic violence and sex trafficking and, bullying and racism and, mm. and climate change. So it's a world of infinite possibilities. I love it. All right. This is my last pack question. When you signed him as a client, you were saying, I believe in you. Um, he gets drafted. He sits out most of that first year, plays that last game. I'm not curious about when you knew that Pat was great. I'm curious, when was the time in the league that you looked around and went, I didn't even realize he was this good? It was the first game he started uh, when he threw four touchdown passes against the San Diego Chargers. Remember that the developmental curve is supposed to be really steep. And the quarterback needs to keep seeing the field over and over again until the defense slows down, until he can read the field accurately. So that just takes time being out on the field. So the fact of the matter is that, you know, where you're looking for a player who's going to throw some uh, untimely interceptions and is going to line up over guard instead of center who's going to uh, call inappropriate timeouts, all the things that go into the learning curve it just didn't happen. And he was, uh, I think he threw 14 touchdown passes in his first three or four games. It was he threw six in one of them. And so all of a sudden it was, uh, 
we knew he had unparalleled talent. You could never have projected he would start that fast. You could never have projected that, you know, in, in three years, he'd be to the Super Bowl twice, be MVP, be MVP of the Super Bowl. You, 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 that, that projection would have been too hard. And I think that players like uh, Justin Herbert and uh, Joe Burrow sort of give you a false sense of what a young quarterback's first years are generally like because they were so prolific so quickly. And um, we'll see if they keep it up. Um, I mean, that was the same path that the Redskin uh, quarterback had who put the league on fire and then mm. never developed. So yeah. you, you it, it's just such a learning experience and, and, you know, having had from Steve Bartkowski and Drew Bledsoe and Mark Brunell and Jake Plummer and, and uh, Troy and Steve and Warren and, and Ben Roethlisberger and all these quarterbacks, it was just faster. Troy's first year, uh, you know, the one in 15. Yeah, they were one in 15. And, and normally when you look at it, whether it's Peyton Manning or uh, John Elway or the best quarterbacks ever, or Troy, they had rough first years. They threw double the interceptions that they threw touchdown passes. And that's just developing. Today's atmosphere is such that you never really see what Mitch Trubisky would have been like, you know, four or five years into the league. Because mm. if if the player's not a fairly instantaneous success, then everything starts. Uh, Tua Tango Vailoa is going to be just fine. Um, you know, he had a normal first year of learning and, and did, did some excellent things. But again, um, uh, we don't have patience in the contemporary game with what really is a development, and especially at the tackle positions on the line and with the quarterback, it's how many times you've seen the field and how many times you've read the field and how many times you've been up against this defensive lineman or, or this defense. Of course. So you also represent Tua. The, the Dolphins just traded down to 12 and then back up to six. I'm reading reports. Oh, they're going to look for a wide receiver. I'm more curious from this perspective. When you're representing a quarterback or any athlete, and there are rumors and there is talk and this turns into concern that maybe it gets to the player. And some of these athletes are such a high level where they really can block it out. But what is your role for a client if the doubt starts getting in? What do you do for them? Well, first of all, you can talk directly to the team and ask them. And uh, they may be holding their cards close to the vest, but um, especially if you're a quarterback, you're so central to the team that you, you've got the ability to go ask the coach what's going on or, and the rest of it. And um, so, so I encourage players to do that. We, we try to do that. We try to keep the team's confidence in whatever their decision is, but we ask uh, directly. And then, um, so two is, only been told that he's the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins and uh, obviously he doesn't have Ryan Fitzpatrick there anymore. So um, he's the quarterback. And so notwithstanding playing match game with Deshaun Watson, where, um, you know, there's these seven options and this looks great. And uh, obviously it's long off season. That's a interesting thing to talk about. Um, but the whole coverage of this concept of quarterbacks and NFL players having what NBA players have in terms of becoming free agents and putting together groups on a team and everything, they don't have that. Um, they're preemptively signed far before their contract comes up. If you have a critical player, they never get the free agency. They're preemptively signed. And in the case that one of them doesn't, um, uh, they can't reach an agreement, they can take one player and franchise. So free agency in the NFL doesn't work any different, uh, works very differently than it does in the NBA. 
because B plus players get on the market and sometimes you get A plus contracts because of competitive bidding. And they do very well because it's the only time teams uh, negotiate against each other and have to actually compete. Um, But I was uh, uh, interested when a lot was made of Russell Wilson saying he wanted to be more involved. Um, Russell Wilson has every right to be more involved. He's the quarterback of the team and the teams would be really missing a bet if they didn't de program the quarterback after the season and asked him exactly how he felt about all the different players, the offense and everything that um, always has happened on good teams. So this is nothing new or revolutionary. All uh, Russell Wilson has to do is walk into um, uh, the coach's office and tell him what he thinks. We used to have long sessions with uh, Jerry Jones for Troy Aikman and with uh, Carmen policy for Steve Young. And that's just a natural part. If you don't sure. think that Andy Reid is asking Patrick what he thinks of every play, you, you see him talking about it. I'm curious, though, are we going through something new with when Tom Brady goes to Tampa? I now got Matt Stafford in L.A. I got Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. I feel like I'm seeing quarterbacks getting traded more. I am seeing a little bit more fluidity. I am seeing Deshaun before all of his issues and Russell Wilson saying, I don't know if I want to be here. Aaron Rodgers. Are we in a new moment with quarterbacks and and empowerment there? I don't really think so, Adam. I think what you're seeing is some of this becoming public that was always private. And so um, quarterbacks have been dissatisfied for tons of times, have asked to be traded. You just don't hear about it. The worst way for a player to be traded is to go public and say he wants to be traded. Then every team that might have an interest in him knows that the incumbent team has damaged goods and they're not going to be able to get the quarterback to play or maybe he won't show up. So being public just puts the incumbent team into a compromised position and makes it harder to trade. So mm-hmm. if someone who wants to be traded ought to keep that very quiet and private and between him and the team. That has to be difficult for you to be representing people in their 20s who, if they feel the public, they're not getting enough attention or they're saying this and they're like, I want my point of view to come out. But from your perspective, if you talk, you could hurt all these trade negotiations. That's got to be tough as an agent. Right. So you do these discussions behind the scenes. You do the discussion with the coach and the front office behind the scenes. And so you have no idea really what went into the Matt Stafford trade. You can Mm. assume that he wanted out of Detroit, but we never heard anything. And Carson Wentz, there was all this discussion, but I never heard Carson Wentz himself uh, get on a a public media and say, I want out of Philadelphia. And those trades happen smoothly. So what I'm telling you is it just was like pulling back the rock and seeing what actually goes on behind the scenes all the time. Um, Mm. And uh, I can't tell you how many players, if I've represented 500 NFL players, um, 20% of them every year want out. 20% 20% of them every year want to retire. Um, and this all goes towards training camp. And then they feel the, uh, becking, uh, you know, the call of the, of the game and miss the yeah. camaraderie and miss the uh, competitiveness and miss the electric high they get from being in front of live crowds and everything's fine. Are we at an interesting point because of the revenue and the fact that we're at a down year in the salary cap because of COVID and everything that happened, but then this massive media deal gets signed where this influx of cash is now sitting with all the teams. So they can't spend a lot, but they are making hand over fist and the players aren't getting a piece of it. What has this free agent cycle been like with that in mind? So this is a one-year blip. We've just seen what the future of football is, and it's explosively, exponentially successful. Mm. And we've seen that in a pandemic with a cratered economy and people filled with uh, 
uh, apprehension and uh, unease and uncertainty that these networks actually doubled in the case of CBS and NBC what they had paid before. So teams were getting $200 million from a TV contract. Uh, it's not exact, but just suppose that's $400 million before you ever open your doors. ESPN was less, um, less of a, a raise, but, uh, but it was still 35%, I believe. And this is stunning. It just means that football is the dominant sport, the NFL in America. It dominates the airwaves many weeks, two, three of the top five or, or five of the top ten. Nielsen-rated primetime shows are NFL football. So we're in the midst of this craze. So this is just a one-year blip in the, in the cap, and um, it's an 8% decline. That's the first time ever since I've done this, since 1975, that there was a dip. Hmm. But that was caused by hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime situation. I could well see... If the vaccinations continue apace, we could have robust crowds uh, by the time we get to next September. It's still six months away. Yeah. I always think about those guys that like this was the year, though, that they hit free agency. But, they could, but Adam, the great players, the free agents who signed in the first week still got great contracts. Gotcha. Um, what it really affects is the later free agents. And what it really does is it opens up the opportunity for more lower round draft picks and undrafted free agents to make teams because mm. they've got to have those uh, players at the minimum uh, to be able to, to do this. Is but that why there's usually a mad dash in the beginning of free agency? It's, because it's, there are players and teams that have done an excellent job of forecasting what the possibilities will be. They've been thinking all season about which players might be free agents and which needs they have and how to go to the finish line. So it's, um, and players have been speculating who know they're going to become free agents. So it doesn't just happen all of a sudden in March. It's, uh, there's a whole lot of pre-preparation going on. And so what you see is when you come in the first days, the, Oklahoma Land Rush, the wagons that have a unique plan, go directly to uh, that plot of land or that signing. And mm. the ones that are not as organized, either the players or teams, they just don't get off the line. And what happens is you have these massive amount of signings for, for the same type of contracts they would have gotten, whether or not there was a diminution of the cap. And then it slows up mm. and then it becomes glacial. And then in the game of musical chairs, uh, there's some players that don't find chairs. And so it's agonizing for those players who don't get signed in the first 10 days uh, because every, the teams have given up their premium dollars and now it's, uh, uh, it's just a push to get employed. That's what I think happened with Juju, where you looked around and was like, I'm just going to take a one year to come back and maybe I'll hit this again next right. year. I'm, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious, though, you have been around the NFL for decades. Uh, I know that you're a fan as well. We now have a 17 game regular season that just happened. Uh, how do you view that as someone that's been a part of the NFL for so long and then also someone that represents players now that there's an extra game on the schedule? Well, you look at it from the standpoint that that that's a revenue play to to because the networks knew they'd have another game. So that increases the contract. So it's a balance because over here, every game's like a traffic accident. So so 16 game schedule is really long. And you see at the very start of it, the players aren't really in football shape. They're in shape. And you get all these injuries, some for the season, because they haven't hit before. And all of a sudden, they're stressing the, their body. And then towards the end of the season, you know, bodies break down. So you worry about the effects of adding an extra game. Remember, those teams that go to the playoffs, well, I mean, now you just have three preseason games um, and 17 regular season games. Uh, so you worry about the injury factor, um, but 
the players made the decision to uh, accept this under certain circumstances. So it means more economic uh, bounties. So we'll see. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up, but I want to give you an opportunity because you are working on so much. I saw the non fungible tokens that Mahomes sold with the. I'm not gonna lie. I looked at my fiance and I said, "Hey, if I bid eighty five thousand dollars on this one of one, will you be okay?" She was <laughs> like, "I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting world. Uh, how, how different is it representing a player now than it was twenty years ago?" Well, first of all, think of the power of social media. So now all of a sudden you have players with their own Twitter accounts, their own ability to communicate directly with the public, their own brand. Everything's about brand. How many people out of a thousand can name a specific person? And if they can, do they have positive feelings? And then it's about all the different ways of uh, taking content and uh, having it become revenue opportunities. And you have a group of younger players who are millennials or uh, whatever the correct nomenclature is. Gen for Z is the Z. one. Okay, so you have yeah. Generation Z. They have shorter attention spans. You know, they're, they multitask. So they're technologically much more sophisticated than the players in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, their attention is pulled in a lot of different directions because multitasking. So it's uh, the economics are stunningly different. Um, this is like the gold rush in, in uh, football. And so it's, it's, uh, there are more opportunities. There are more things that can happen with, with brand. The player can affix his name to a, uh, car dealership and all of a sudden the sales go up he can put his uh, brand on anything and he can express himself these players are also more willing to speak out on social issues than their predecessors were and uh, stepped up during the uh, black lives matter demonstrations is there anything else that you're working on right now want to talk about that i haven't hit on lee so we have uh taken on, uh, Chris and I, the concept of educating the next generation of sports professionals and trying to fill them with values and ethics and and have them understand the power of sports. So we do an agent academy, uh, and one is coming up. You can go to steinbergsports.com. And we do an agent academy where these young people divide into agencies and they have to recruit a player, an actual player and his family. They have to negotiate a contract. They do a marketing program. They do a charitable foundation. And it's really trying to give them the tools to jumpstart their careers. So that's coming up. And then we just did a philanthropy uh, uh, event with uh, people talking about how sport can change lives, how you can have Lennox Lewis, the boxer, stand up and say, real men don't hit women Mm. and do more to affect domestic violence attitudes and a thousand authority figures. Uh, The Sports Career Conference takes the athletes into different, uh, takes the the young people into different um, uh, phases. So we have an hour panel on media, an hour panel on uh, branding and marketing, an hour on how to be a front office for a team, a league, a conference, an athletic department. Um, and um, we're, we're trying to give people the education and create a new generation of skilled professionals. Mm. I love it. SteinbergSports.com. Check it out. That's coming up. Lee, congratulations on all of your success and 11 years, man. That is awesome. Congratulations, dude. There you go. One day at a time. (laughs) One day at a time. See you, Lee. Thank you so much, man. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And that was Lee Steinberg, Steinberg Sports. I always like to go to Ingber right afterwards. Your initial takeaway. (laughs) He's a legend and he, he has that quiet calm of a legend that he doesn't need to impress you with his stories and just rattling off his 12 NFL Hall of Fame. Like, cause a lot of people can be like, Hey, I've, I've worked with a lot of greats in my day, you know, this and this man, so many to name, but he knew all 12 off the top of his head. Cause clearly he's been asked that before. 
just the the level of respect he has for each individual person he comes across that that's that's why he's the Jerry Maguire you know like he he has that that personal connection that you could feel which I loved I never met him before he kind of had to take a step away and he faced a lot of financial issues as well Um, but I only met him after he was trying to make his comeback and I remember sitting there in our old Bleacher Report studio and I remember going man this guy's gonna have to battle back because I just thought about the other agents that are going to be like, are you really going to trust him with all the things that he's battling in his own life? And I think it, um, I'm very happy for him just as a human being to see everything that he went through to be 11 years sober and to go out there and to, to align with really a generational changing athlete in Pat and who we both know is such a great guy. I mentioned Chris Cabot, who he works with, his other agent, really stand-up dude from around the area that I grew up. Uh, and, and it really is like that. that and that's, that's how big Pat is, where it, all of a sudden now he's got Tua and Judy and like all these other athletes and uh, just wild. But then also I was taken aback at all of the different ideas about ownership. And how, how small the window is when you have somebody like Mahomes. If we're going to make an impact, we need to make an impact right now. There is no waiting. It's you're going to be an owner of the Royals. You're going to do all this stuff uh, and, and all the other impactful things they've done. I'm, I'm really happy for the guy. I remember working for a tech company uh, over 10 years ago. And the CEO was saying that when he was looking for his own VC investments, he liked the VCs that liked taking a chance on a CEO who had had some serious adversity that maybe lost it all at one point or their first two companies failed that he didn't, he didn't trust somebody who was just gangbusters out of the gate and never had a problem, never had an issue. And I think for athletes to be drawn to someone like Lee Steinberg with his story and the way he wears his emotions on his sleeve, I think that's a very compelling case. He's like, look, I've been at the top. I've been all sorts of different places in this business and I will fight for you tooth and nail. And I think we can all take a piece of that uh, in, in any business that we're, that we're working in. How many times do we see a team that's 12 and 0 and we go, is it, is it better if they lose one? You know what I mean? Kind like, of. You know I mean? Pittsburgh like, Steelers this experiencing year. Experiencing loss uh, can really, that's when you learn the merits of a man. Um, we, we talked a little bit, me and him did about the trades very briefly that just happened that shook up the NFL draft world. I hope you guys have been enjoying, uh, the pods, the live shows that I've been doing with Connor kind of filling it in. We did quarterbacks and I asked him last week, what are the chances that quarterbacks go the first four picks of the draft? And he said, very high soon after there was a trade, the, 49ers moving up from 12 to three, giving up a boatload of picks, the Dolphins dropping back from three to 12, and then simultaneously trading with the Eagles, who moved from six back to that 12 spot with the Dolphins moving back up into the top six. There's a number of picks that went around. First round picks, the Dolphins have an absolute boatload. Uh, It really is incredible to realize how many started off with this Laramie Tunsil trade, uh, him going to uh, from Miami to Houston. My first thought was, and this, of course, uh, is so up in the air, Ingber, with all of the allegations that are coming up against him right now and Deshaun Watson. Uh, we, I think it's 16 women right now. Uh, none of them, uh, I believe, uh, have gotten to the court stage. Most of them are civil, to be honest. Until a lot of this gets fleshed out, I don't think it's fair to say... It's fair to say he was in the wrong situation and he put himself in the wrong situation. Whether or not what he did... I want that to play out in court a little bit. But my first thought, to be honest, Ingber, was the Dolphins and the Eagles just got a lot more draft picks, and they were two of the three teams that were rumored to be going after Deshaun Watson. That was my first thought was less about who are the Niners going to take at three and who do the Dolphins want at six, but, man, that's a lot of ammunition to go up and maybe make a move. So you think they were acquiring a war chest of picks and assets so that they will have everything they need to, their ducks in a row, to throw the three, four, five first-round picks, whatever it's going to take? That was my first thought. And then I went, okay, well, let me focus on the things that are actually real right now, which, it, which are uh, the third pick. I was texting with my guy Sims because this is the Niners. And I'm like, 
okay, Mr. Kyle Shanahan friend. And he thinks that they're going to go similar to his rankings, which would be that Mac Jones is third. So I, of course, was like, let me use this insider information to see if I can bet this. None of my friends had who's being drafted third. And then he tweeted it out. And I, I heard people in the ringer today going, do you think that Chris could be lying for Kyle and just doing a smoke screen? Number one, why do you have to do a smoke screen? There's no smoke screen needed. You just trade it up. Yeah, it's Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. And I just want to say, I'm standing up for my friend Sims, and we're going to have to have him on soon because I thought it was very funny that Sims said Zach Wilson's the number one quarterback, and almost all of Twitter said, who the fuck is this guy? And then Zach Wilson, not wearing pads, not wearing a helmet, throws one pass at his pro day, and then everybody's going, I don't know. Zach Wilson might be as good as Trevor Lawrence. And I'm like... Oh, so because of one throw, now you guys agree with him. And now because the NFL is saying this guy's good. So I don't want them calling him crazy again if he says this about Mac Jones, especially when the story came out that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are going to Mac Jones's workout. Granted, it's also Alabama's workout, so there's more prospects there. But they're sending the assistant GM to Ohio State for Justin Fields. But they have a lot of pros there, too. So that was eye-opening. So I am willing to go. It's one, two, three quarterback and it's Lawrence Wilson, Mac Jones. And I think that I want to play in the world of presumed picking. Like I believe that's the case. So in my mind, the Atlanta Falcons are on the clock with the first pick in the draft with Trey Lance, Justin Fields up there and any other player they want. They have had offensive line issues in the past. You can go Penny Sewell. There's a 0% chance they go wide receiver just because it's the Falcons. They can't do that anymore. But if you're the Falcons, I guess the question you have to ask yourself is, if you're going with Matt Ryan and you think he can go a few more years, do you trade back and try to get someone out with the quarterback? Or is it time? I mean, the fact that Justin Fields is from Georgia and owns like a lot of Georgia State records, I think it's going to be really hard for them to pass up. But I, it, to me, it, see, it we might be going quarterback the first four picks in the draft right now, Ingber. It would be exciting uh, to me. I, so I don't have the inside information on Mac Jones or whoever it is. But to me, a guy like Kyle Shanahan doesn't make a move, an organizational move like that, unless he has his guy. So yes. whether it's Justin Fields or whether it's Trey Lance, I don't know if it's going to surprise us on draft night or who it is, but whatever it is, he's seen something. And he said, I need that third pick because there's something about what I want to do this year without Jimmy G. There's something about what I want to do that I need this particular guy. I don't want to wait for him at four. I don't want to wait for him at five. I don't want to risk losing out on the guy that I know is the one that can take us there. 100%. And also don't forget his former DC is now the head coach of the Jets at pick number two. So I'm sure they had a nice, honest conversation. I need to know who you're taking it to. <laughs> right. Okay, we're going Zach Wilson. Okay, then I know who's available. Um, the other the other thing with, with what you just said is I don't think they move on from Jimmy Garoppolo this year because the guy we just talked to, Lee Steinberg, is a perfect example. Okay, they got Patrick Mahomes at 10 which, oh, it's a first, that's a top 10 pick. It's a first round pick. He didn't play for 15 games. Right. Now, now, Russell Wilson, when he got drafted in the third round, they had just given a huge contract to Matt Flynn and he beat him out in camp. And I think this is where people get confused because Kyle Shanahan's going to be asked every time, who's the guy, who's the guy, who's the guy? And he really just wants to say, but you can't say it like this. We're going to put him on the practice field. We're going to go through training camp because we have to go through training camp. We're going to go through the preseason games because we have to go through the preseason games. If Mac Jones beats out Jimmy G, amazing, amazing. And if he doesn't, we still have hope for him as a prospect mm -hmm. and we're going to go with Jimmy G. But the Niners last year were picked to win the West. They were in the Super Bowl two years ago. They suffered some of the most catastrophic injuries of any team in the NFL. Nick Bosa went out nearly immediately. All of their wide receivers were hurt. They didn't even have Brandon Ayuk most of the year. They, Trent Williams was really good at left tackle, but their running backs, Mostert was hurt, and everybody was hurt. Their whole defense was decimated. This is a very talented football team that went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy G. But what you need to do 
is look towards the immediate future and pass that. None of us know how good Jimmy G is. It's a, just a, it's a weird fact of life. He's, a, he's an above average top 15 quarterback that sometimes has games where he looks like the 25th best quarterback. And then sometimes when he executes Kyle Shanahan's offense as a top seven quarterback, he really fluctuates like that. But by drafting a quarterback in the first round, the Niners just opened themselves a new window. This year, everybody's good. But then after that, if they move on from Jimmy G, all those great defensive players suddenly can get re-signed. All of those offensive linemen can come back. George Kittle, here's the, George Kittle missed the whole year last year almost. Yep. So I, I just, I think people want the answer immediately. And, and my belief is let them go to camp, let them see who wins. And if Jimmy G's your starter, let Mac learn, let Mac learn. But that's, I'm crazy. I'm already saying he's the guy at three. That's how much I trust the Sim Shanahan relation. Would you say uh, NFC West over under 40 wins for next year? Wow. Think about it. Matt Stafford and the Rams with that defense. It's four good Kyler teams. Murray, they just got J.J. Watt, uh, A.J. Green, and they, they're going to continue on the rise. And then the, it, it is interesting that the weakest team in the division right now has been the dominant team for the last decade in the Seattle Seahawks, mm -hmm. where that offensive line is a mess. Their best defensive players have gone elsewhere. There seems to be a feud between the quarterback and the coach. But they always get really to double-digit going... wins. Yeah, so I would say over under 40. I'd go over 40. Yeah, that's a high number. Oh, very high. Um, look, this is a team, this is a division that put three teams in the playoffs last year, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but the Saints are gonna drop off. You'd expect the Bears to to not do as great. Uh I, I oddly enough, I was thinking about the Minnesota Vikings this weekend and getting excited. I don't know why that was a thought I had. Um I was probably just trying to change my mindset of the of how I was a little bit upset about the Nets getting LaMarcus Aldridge and adding him to Blake Griffin. Uh, but now we know Andre Jumman's going to the Lakers. It it in the NBA, because I'm such an, an NBA mindset, I remember when the Lakers signed Carl Malone and Gary Payton in the early 2000s. And everybody, that was the first time where I had really seen people get upset about ring chasing. Uh, and I don't think they won the ring that year. I think they lost to the Pistons uh, in the finals. But they have 41 all-star appearances on that Nets team. <laughs> That's a lot. Because uh, we have the Nets on Thursday. Think about what this game could have been. Our early Thursday game, because I have to fill in again because Ernie and them have college basketball, mm -hmm. was Nets-Hornets. It could have been Lamelo uh, yeah. versus this Nets team, and I would have gone nuts. But I'm I'm starting to get prepared now. But it's like Durant has 11, Kyrie has seven, Blake has six, Aldridge has seven, Harden has nine, and um, DeAndre Jordan has one. 41 All Star games. And Joe Harris should have three or four, if we're being honest. Love his game. Yeah, Joe Joe Harris has like All Star three-point contest appearance. Yeah, he was like around. So like, He's there. <laughs> he was there. You know, like he went to the ball is life activation on Saturday morning. He's got you know all-star I mean? pedigree. Can we call it that? Yeah, he's hung out with all-stars <laughs> yeah. on a regular basis. Um, I, I don't know. I want. I kind of want to get deep into Like, are you into deep into the NBA right now? Like the Celtics are a tough team to make you want to get deep into the NBA because they're so all over the place. Oh my God. Yeah, they're the classic. So watching trade deadline, it's, it's kind of refreshing when you see a team just openly say we're doing a reset button, right? The Orlando Magic just got rid yep. of their three, arguably three best players. And they said, we're resetting. And the fan base can go, okay, I'll turn my clock to 2025 and we'll be really good then. Whereas the Celtics were like, all right, we're going to try to slightly upgrade our backup center position so that we can go from a seven seed to a six seed. Like who's going to get really excited about that. It's just kind of a bummer to watch. Like you, you kind of want to say like, let's blow it up or let's go all in and let's get Vucevic, you know? Um, I feel, I feel like for the first time ever, the, tr the moves that Danny Ainge made for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen are officially like, it's it's officially worn off. That he slate can't is gone. Sit by yeah. it anymore. Yeah. yeah. 2014 the, the, was when they traded Paul Pierce and KG at the same time. Like that's seven years ago. 
You're right. And then to trade and get all those picks and to get Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, it's just incredible that they've been to the Eastern Conference Finals like two of the last three years. But we're sitting here and going, you have a $28.5 million trade exception and all you got was Evan Fournier. You were rumored to get Aaron Gordon, he goes to Denver. You were rumored to get LaMarcus Aldridge, he goes to Brooklyn. Hey, you're going to make a play for Andre Drummond? Nah, he's going to the Lakers. To just end all of it with Evan Fournier, now now I went from Danny Ainge, master team creator, to Danny Ainge, you want to hear about the guys that I almost got? Like that's his now, that's who he is now. Right. It's very interesting to watch it officially end. In and people opinion. start nitpicking on the moments where he tried to pull off a trade that might have been a disaster, and he kind of lucked into not pulling it off. The Justice Signing Winslow. Anth- not getting Anthony Davis is a big one now. Yeah, know? so it's like these things that he couldn't quite get. I think there were some rumors he almost got Chris Depp's Porzingis at the time, but would have like emptied the entire war chest for it. Um, right. Yeah, so I, I, I'm interested with, with a GM, because if you're one of the top GMs like Daryl Morey or Masai Ujiri or... Danny Ainge, let's say five, six years ago, the way people thought of him. How do you then make trades with a newish GM knowing that this person probably has more intel than I do, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if you pull off a decade of just, just absolutely knock down great trades and then you call up the next team to be like, hey, I've got a great trade for you. Aren't you really as aren't you very defensive if Masai Ujiri calls you? You're like, you probably know something that I don't know and I'm nervous. That's but but you know what? But people keep stealing, people keep doing deals with Pat Riley, and yep. he has never lost a trade. Pat Riley has never ended a trade where it was even. Right. He traded Kelly Olinick, Avery Bradley, and like a late pick. They picked so up Oladipo. two guys who have a combined one start for Victor Oladipo. And and then also like it's just incredible how he keeps doing this. Like even his other trade for I had to learn how to say Bialica. It's spelled Bajelica. And I yeah. was like, it's definitely not Bajelica. Um, and I, I was like, man, this guy wins trades. The the one thing I will say is this is going to be a fascinating run to the finals. Now, if the Nets win it all, post-mortem, we will look at each other and go, duh. Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie, Blake, LaMarcus. I get it. Like after the first Durant Warriors cycle, like we try to talk ourselves into the Rockets. We try to talk ourselves into the Cavs, but it's like the 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 Laker, uh, the, the Warriors, they went what, like 16 and three that year in the playoffs. It was over. And then in retrospect, we were like, what were we thinking? Why didn't we just put all our yeah. money into this? But I, I think beyond the Nets. So if the Nets were to win, let's say they win it all. Durant gets his third. Kyrie gets his second, Mm. Blake gets one, DeAndre gets one, LaMarcus gets one. Joe Harris gets one. And Harden gets one. That's that's the biggest upgrade for Harden. I agree. So I think that if if Durant, it all depends also of their roles in the championship. Mm -hmm. Durant, everyone can shit on the championships and I think that's wrong because he was the best player on both teams in both championships and hit the game winning shot in game three to in essence, end the series that matters. Kyrie hit the shot in game seven, but if James Harden, if he does what he's doing the regular season, leading the NBA in assists, completely changing his game, going to be an MVP top three MVP finisher. If he gets one, I don't think people understand where he ranks all time in like all of these statistics. It, 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 it really James Harden winning a championship would be like if Matt Stafford won one with the Rams this year to cross sports because Matt Stafford is going to finish as like a top five quarterback in every category in, in yards, all yeah. this stuff, touchdowns, all that. Where if he has a Super Bowl and then he ends and we go, so what's the difference between Drew Brees and Matt Stafford? What's the difference? Right. But we have been talking about so that like all of a sudden it changes Harden's legacy immediately. And everyone else's impact a legacy in the league revolves around the Nets from this perspective. If they face the Sixers in the playoffs and Embiid dominates, he moves to Hakeem Olajuwon type of stuff. Yeah. If the Bucks face the Nets and Giannis is able to find a way to break through, well, now Giannis is a back-to-back MVP that took down the Nets to move on to the finals. Th- this has been a down year for legacy Giannis. Wow, does that go up? And if LeBron somehow finds a way number five, to knock off the Nets, this team, to 
knock off the 72 and eight or 72 and nine warriors. And then to knock off this Nets team to tie Kobe at five rings. I don't know if he needs six to pass Jordan after that. Oh, wow. So all of the legacies are really revolving around the storyline of this Nets team. Yeah. And, but it, it doesn't feel like the Warriors team for a few years ago. It still feels like they're up in the air because it's like the first year that they're together and they're not all, this isn't LaMarcus Aldridge 10 years ago. You know, this isn't Blake Griffin five years ago, but it really, man, it gets spicy. And I'm over here going, don't forget about the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. I love the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to the like one third quarter in a game four that Blake Griffin goes off and everyone's like, told you, Blake Griffin. And it's like, I'm sorry, but did you watch him in Detroit the last couple of years? Because he was not the guy that was going to take a team by himself to the finals. He happens to have some good guys around him and he deserves it. And I want to see him get a chip. And I actually just watched his roast appearances over the weekend. He is the best. I want nothing but the best for Blake Griffin. But like, you know how the media can just go crazy or like Twitter can just go crazy. As soon as Blake Griffin hits back-to-back threes in a big playoff game, they go, I knew Blake Griffin still had it. And settle down. You know, we know he's going to have a great moment. Listen, we had it last week. This man didn't dunk for a calendar year. First basket to dunk. And then over the weekend, he caught an alley-oop and people are like, Oh wait. And it's a lot of times in sports and player empowerment, as we wrap up, we always like to focus on the guys that get everything. Mm-hmm. We focus on Drew Brees, who constantly has his contract turned into salary, into signing bonuses. Uh, we focus on LeBron and how he can assemble his team. But we don't always focus on like the Jared Goffs that get traded to Detroit for Matt Stafford. Yeah. Or Blake Griffin, who got sent to Detroit. I'm not picking on Detroit right now. Uh, in order for the Clippers to have Kawhi and Paul George. And we don't realize that for a lot of these athletes, it is a very demanding lifestyle. And that if you are not happy, it is going to change who you are. And, and so LaMarcus spent his time in San Antonio and Blake spent his time out there in Detroit. And the way they are going to be rejuven, rejuven, rejuvenated rejuvenated. I, I want, I want there to be a word that's rejuvenated though. Whatever, whatever direction you were taking that word. I was going to go rejuvenalize. Rejuvenalize <laughs> would be a great word. That sounds like uh, the name of a, of your startup company about how to like get a young body again. It's called rejuvenalize or something. Rejuvenalized. Yeah. And you get it by every day, starting with the four questions. <laughs> it's uh, rejuvenalized. Okay. That's enough. Uh, that was fun. Um, for Lee Steinberg, check him out and go to their website. I'll be honest, I was two jobs I thought about when I was before I was going to go to college broadcasting and being a sports agent. Nice. One of the best things I did for broadcasting is I went to a broadcasting camp for like, it was like a day camp and just tried it out. And I was like, yeah, I like this. Going to camps is interesting. So check out Steinberg Sports. For David Ingmar. If you're about to click send on that present for your friend's new kid, just ask yourself, if it makes noise, would you want that in your home making noise for six straight hours? Because you need to ask yourself that before giving it to a new parent. I'm Adam Lefko, and yesterday I was on Amazon and I was going to buy a karaoke <laughs> microphone for David Ingber's daughter. And I was going to send it to him completely unprompted. And it was golden because in my single head mind, I was like, this is going to let her achieve the stardom that she was born for. And now I'm going to take it out of the car. You know what? A karaoke microphone is something different. That's my daughter expanding her talents and giving her songs yeah, but to it's the world. Bluetooth. So she's going to connect it to the speaker and be walking around your house just going <laughs> bah, 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 bah. so are you sure that is a rough one yeah i was more okay. thinking about the like That's it'll be like so a little turtle that, that just that. beeps and whistles and sings for and then you just press a button and it just beeps for another 20 minutes no a karaoke microphone that's actually an amazing gift and i love it okay uh well think about it you do have a gift coming your way though not going to break it down now, but oh. we'll have to see. Oh. I am the L-E-F-K-O-E man. Uh, check out every Thursday with Connor Rogers live. We release the podcast afterwards on Friday as we get ready for the NFL draft at the end of the month of April. We have a special third member of the draft show. Can't wait for you to see it. And of course, check me out uh, Thursday, April 1st. 
I will be hosting NBA on TNT and then back to Tuesdays. And if you want to get your tweets on the air on TNT, here is the cheat code because you've stayed around the entire episode to this point. As soon as something happens in the beginning of a segment, you need to tweet something funny, include a GIF, and then tag hashtag MBA on TNT. That's your best chance. You got to get in right away. Don't wait until later in the segment. They're accumulating tweets. You got to have a quick take. Go for it. Better focus on the GIF more than the content. Yes. Shaq right now is good enough as long as the GIF is good. And if you call it a GIF, that's fine too. Okay, that's enough. We'll holler at you later. See you.